So we've been sharing lately that, uh, and those of you who've been around here, we've made this comment that Annette and I are in this new season of life. In fact, we did our My One Word. Many of you did that. That's like each year you choose a word kind of in December that sort of carries the theme and what you want to see happen next year. And so we chose as our My One, One, My One Word. We did it together as a couple this year, which is the first time. We've been doing this about four years. We chose the word Discover. And so really, this is a new season for us. Well, I decided to uh, take a pass on this because since we're two people, we can technically have two words. Am I right? Okay, yeah, I'm looking for loopholes here. So I found that one. I thought, hey, we need to have two words because what are we discovering? What, what, is, what is this? And we both, without hesitation, said freedom. Freedom. So it's a new season for us. Interesting enough, even though we've had this season of freedom um, on one hand, because in technically speaking, we actually are empty nesters now officially. Yeah, that deserves an Oscar or something. I mean, come on. We paid our dues, right? And here's what happened. Now, we, we raised our children, and, and when Chris and Alicia graduated from high school, we were still quite young and ready to go. So we adopted a newborn baby right after that. So we literally... Annette's done two back-to-back on this thing. And so here we are. We have earned the empty nest syndrome. Amen? So we have a right to be excited about this. So our daughter, by the way, our youngest, she graduated last year. She is now in London as of a couple of days ago. And uh, she's going to be doing a study abroad program. And so, so we've kind of got the house to ourselves, us and the dogs. And we're like, wow, this is amazing. So it's interesting how with different seasons of life, it precipitates interesting decisions, right? So Annette says to me a few weeks ago, she says, you know, she's shaking her head right now. Do you need to leave? Do you need to like step out? Okay, she might need to leave. So I'll go out here. So a few weeks ago, she says, hey, I think we should, uh, I think we should get tattoos. Now, you have to understand this. My, my question, she wants to correct my story right here. So my, my, my thought was, who are you and what have you done with my wife? Because we have never had this conversation before. And so we were kicking it around, and, and I said, well, I, I'm not completely opposed to it. I just literally haven't got, given it a lot of thought. And so we started talking about it, and the more we talked about it, I began to realize, you know, a tattoo, if you think about it, it's, it's a bumper sticker that never goes away, Right? So I started thinking, actually, that's kind of neat. You make a statement. And I always, when I see people out and they have tattoos, I'll ask. I'll say, hey, what's that about? Because most people have a story behind it, and, and they do it for a reason. So I thought, well, we might just step into something fresh here in our new season of discovery and freedom. So, uh, so we started talking about it, and I did what any self-respecting pastor would do. I contacted another pastor to find out where you go to get tattoos done. Because we didn't know. So Mario Gallegos, who's the lead pastor at Journey Fellowship, one of our other campuses at Oak Hills, he's got like a whole sleeve. Now, don't get nervous. So he's got a whole sleeve here. So I knew he knew, and he did that like two years ago. So I called him, and he was so excited. He goes, oh, absolutely. I can tell you where to go. It's reputable, clean, it's sterile, it's all that. So that's what I needed to know, right? Now, you have to understand, I'm new to this world so I had no idea what we're getting into. And then I started asking, so does it hurt? You know, I mean, it's like, I've heard, you know, it's like a needle, right? I mean, this is how much I know. So we end up going having a consult. And here's what, what Mario got excited about. He said, he said, I'm excited about you getting attacked because, you know, we're bros. That's cool. He goes, but 
I'm really excited because you're going to get to be in Sonia's life. Sonia is the tattoo artist. And he said, he said, she is very near the kingdom. And he said, I'm so excited you're going to get to spend some time with her. So we went and met with her uh, a couple of weeks ago. Had a great visit. And in the middle of that visit, she says something interesting to Annette and I. I don't know if we're just like flirting like teenagers or something. This empty nest is working really well for us. You know, we're having fun. We're, we're cutting up. And, and she says, I just, she literally just said it out loud. It's just us. And she says, I hope someday that I have the bliss that you and your wife have. And we're just like, oh, that is so awesome. And then in just a few, just right after that, and that conversation went on, she, she, she said that, uh, she said, you guys have such an energy that comes off of you. I mean, you know, what do you say? And you have to understand, Sonia is a precious, precious person. But she has no point of reference for Jesus Christ. She was not raised in a Christian home. She has no background in faith or Christianity. In fact, she actually told me out loud, she said, you know, when I first met Mario and his family, she said, I, he blew my mind because y'all aren't like any pastors I've ever thought about. And she literally said this. She said, my idea of a pastor is old, fat, bald, and prejudiced. How tragic is that? So it gave us a chance to show that we're none of those. And so she was impressed with Mario and his family. Of course, Mario wanted me to meet her, so we did. And now we've got this amazing conversation going. And you know what? I didn't show up. I did not have my Lord's Gym t-shirt on. Remember those? I didn't have a What Would Jesus Do bracelet on. I didn't have anything on me that says... Christian, Christian, witness, witness. All we did was show up in overflow. We just had fun. We just had a blast. So we do the consult. Now we're going to get to sit in her chair. That was all a little scary. I walked in there. There's all kinds of needles and instruments and all. It's like, oh man, this looks like a surgical room or something. So so we get the scoop on what to do. So we come back the next week. That was last Monday night. And we sit in the chair. And for hours, what, three hours, we get her undivided attention. But you know what was so beautiful about it? Is she asked us questions. So I was the last to go. Annette got hers. Faith, my daughter, got one. She's been bugging us for one for a long time. And so why not go as a family, right? We're families that tap together, stay together. That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> so I've heard something like that. Some, some aberration of that. So, so... I'm the last to go, and I sit down, and, and she starts a conversation. She goes, you're not like any pastor I've ever imagined. And I said, thank you, I think. I think that's a compliment. She said, she said, I'm really nervous around you. And I said, don't be, please, don't be. And she said, I can't help it. You're just like up there, and I'm down here. And oh, man, my heart was like, wow, is that what we project? And uh, she said, can I ask you a question? I said, sure, of course. Of course, she's got a needle in my arm. Think I'm going to say no? <laughs> yeah, go ahead, and I'll be real still while I answer. And she said, um, what is it, or why did you start believing in God? She meant it. It was an honest question. As this is all unfolding, I'm sitting here thinking, about what I've been teaching for two and a half years to our Wednesday night equipped study group. 
And that is that our responsibility and our role is to show up and leak out life and leak out hope to overflow. You can see our graphic up there. It's the word overflow, but you notice all the colors that came down through it and surrounded it. It's this idea that all these colors come down. They're the pieces of our life, the texture of our life. So overflow. So here's the title as we start this new series today. And it is simply this, Welcome to the New Normal. And I subtitled this, A Compelling Life, A Harvest Realized. And I'll explain that as we go. Let me give you a quote from Hugh Halter, one of my favorite contemporary authors. He's a great guy who started a, a group or a church meeting called Adulam up in Denver, Colorado. And he did it because he was a burned out, frustrated pastor who did not even want to be known as a pastor. In fact, when they moved to Denver, he wanted a fresh start so that no one would know who he was. So he started a little paint company. They were doing residential houses and painting. And then people started showing up at their house for no reason. All the neighbors just started coming over to their house. Then they'd you know, cook dinner or have a little party and people would show up. And he never ever told them he was a Christian or that he was a pastor but what happened is people kept coming up and asking questions because they saw something different in Hugh and his wife and his family's life than what they were experiencing. What was he doing? He was leaking out. He was spilling over. He was overflowing. They're sitting in their neighborhood and they started meeting on a, on a, on a weekly basis because somebody asked, Hugh, would you, you, know, you know a lot about the Bible. Would you, would you teach us the Bible? And he's sitting there with all these people who have no point, no reference of, of Christianity. And as they're sitting there, one of the ladies says, hey, we should start a church. He's like, oh no. I'd been there, done that. He was against it. Really against it. And then she looked around and she said, well, actually, we already are a church. And that's how Adulam was born. And it became a movement throughout Denver, Colorado. But it was not like this church. It didn't have four walls. They met from house to house. And God blessed and touched and moved. Hugh became that guy. He wrote a book called The Tangible Kingdom. This is a quote from that book. And he says this. You can see it on the screen. Christianity has lost its place at the center of American life. Would you agree with that? Now, if your only realm or point of reference is faith and church, you would say, no, no way, everybody's on board. Listen, they're not on board. 75 years ago, churches were the community centers of small communities and towns. The church fellowship hall was the community center. Brush Arbor meetings, outdoor tabernacles. In fact, if you drive through the country here in the hill country and beyond, and I was in Comanche for a number of years. We had a lot of little country churches out there. And they all had these old outdoor pavilions that would have like hundreds of chairs sitting there, but nobody there. Because back in the day, that was where the community met. Because the church at one time was the center of community. It's not anymore. We're in a post Christian era right here, not far behind Europe right now. Christianity has lost its place at the center of American life. By the way, don't get discouraged by that news. This is our opportunity. So don't, be, don't think of it as a negative. Think of it as great, great, ground that's been lost can be gained, but not just regained and reclaimed, but new and fresh. God wants to do something new among us. Amen? 
Christians must learn how to live the gospel as a distinct people who no longer occupy the center of society. That's the truth. Now here, I bolded, I italic, I underlined, I just didn't put color to it, but I think you get the idea. This is important. We must learn to build, a relation, to build relational bridges that win a hearing. In a very real sense, gone are the days of handing out gospel tracts and walking away. Or dropping one on the bathroom floor in a public restroom hoping somebody will pick it up, read it, and get miraculously born again in their stall. And now let me say something. Not to say God hasn't used those things. Alright? God will use us in all of our broken mess. Amen? But could it be that God is trying to do something in us to get us back to a place where we're actually building relationships with people, not looking at them as projects, but looking at them as people for whom Jesus died and loves them. Our Wednesday night group, we've talked about a ton of things, and they're getting double-dipped here on a lot of this stuff because we've been talking about this for two years. But I have to say something. When I was a kid, we visited Royal Gorge Park in Colorado, and it's, it's the largest, long, or longest and highest suspension cable bridge in America. And it's this amazing place if you've ever been. It's a great vacation spot. It's beautiful. And when you're standing up on it, it's, it moves with the wind. But they had to build that by stringing one cable at a time across the gorge. And so they'd cast the cable onto the other side, and then they would do another one. And over time, as the cables intertwined, they built tensile strength together to where it was eventually able to support weight. And then as they continued to cast cables across each side, it supported more and more weight. Is that not the way we should be witnessing for Jesus Christ? And that is to cast cables across this gulf between us and others. It could be the clerk at the store. It could be who pumps your gas. It could be who fills your, your propane tank. It could be a million interactions that we have in a week where we are intentionally casting cables over to them, believing that someday, somehow, some way, God will bring, build tensile strength to the point where it will support weight. Where the conversation might go from, hey, how's the weather today? Hey, how about those cowboys? Hey, how about, you know, to, hey, I got an issue. Man, could you, could you remember my son? He's, he's, his life's spinning out of control. Hey, could you pray for me? That goes way beyond a track, a gospel tract or a $20 bill that's a fake, fake money but has gospel on it. That's not good news to a waiter or a waitress, I'm just telling you. But could it be that because we care and value people, care for and value people, that we are casting cables over to them that someday will support a conversation that goes beyond the weather? We must learn to build relational bridges that win a hearing. Now listen to this. The nature of fullness. I'm going to say some things that I've said before, but I want to lay the groundwork for where we're going in these 13 weeks. The nature of fullness is overflow. Some of you may remember the day I came up here with a cup full of water. And I was walking around making a horrific mess up here, hoping not to land it on, strategically on, on uh, Russ's pedal board here. 
He remembers. Or that, or that beautiful guitar over there. Everybody on stage is panicking. But I was very careful. I was intentional. But I was spilling out water because here's the deal. The nature of fullness is overflow. Now, when something is truly full, I'm not talking three quarters or seven eighths full. I'm talking full to the brim. Fill her up. Then all it takes is a little jostle, a little bump, a little movement to create spillage, overflow. And what we're talking about, what we're addressing in these 13 weeks is what is it like to be so full of hope, so full of life, so full of the Holy Spirit of God that everywhere we go, He goes. When we show up, He shows up. And when we get bumped, jostled, or moved, guess what happens? Overflow. Overflow. Jesus Himself. Everywhere we go. Leave your tracks at home and take Jesus with you. He's a much better and much more compelling witness. Listen to this. Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy. Listen to this. And peace as you trust in Him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. First of all, the overflow that comes out of you is not you. And the hope that comes out that he's referring to, this confident, joyful expectation of a desired good, is not you. It's actually his very presence. I've said this before, I'll say it a thousand more times if I live that long. And here it is. Jesus died for you so he could give his life to you so that he could live his life, help me somebody, through you. He desires to so fill you that when you show up, He's there. That when you are in a given environment, what comes off and out of you is His life. Oh, now, before you default to this, that means I have to be perfect for Him to use me. Oh, no, no, no. We are but jars of clay. Amen? In, we're earthen vessels. Broken, chipped, marred. Chinks in the armor. Cuts, breaks, and all. But here's the beauty about a broken vessel. The more it's broken and cracked, the more it leaks. So if you've got cracks, if you've got chips, if you've got scrapes, if you've got bumps and bruises, guess what? You are the perfect material for God to use if you'll just be honest about it. Lord, here I am. Send me. Lord, here I am. Warts and all. Scars and all, bumps and all, cracks and all, just seep out through me. Overwhelm and overflow. So that those who I come in contact with say, I want what they have. Listen to this. We leak out what we're full of. John 7.37 says this, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Something alive when we believe in him. Why? Because he takes up residence in us. And then out of that comes living water, which those in our orbit relationally partake of. They get a sense of. It's an intangible. It's what Simon Cowell calls the et factor or the X factor. It's something that you can't put your finger on, but when you're around that person, there's something compelling about their life that makes you want to be around them more. When they walk in a room, it provides lift for everybody in the room, not scattering the room like the Red Sea. Come on. 
Why? Because something in them is flowing out of them. It's a river of living water. Rick talked about this tree of life. They're living life out of the tree of life. And that life in them gets expressed. And it changes everything. Changes the very atmosphere. Verse 39, continuing with this idea that we leak out what we're full of, John 7, 39. Now this, he said, Jesus said, about the Spirit whom those who believed in Him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus had not yet been, had not, was not yet glorified. It's the Spirit Himself coming out of us that touches those around us. By the way, the beauty is this. You're not righteous because of what you do. You're righteous because of who He is and what He did. The Bible tells us this, that we have been made to be the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That means it's not even about us. He makes us righteous because of what He did, not what we do. And the beauty of that is, is when you show up, you're righteous. And through that, He touches lives all around us. The people that have ministered life to me, especially before I was a follower of Jesus, were people who leaked out this life. The reason I've stayed on it my entire life and can't move off of it, and you hear it all the time, is because that is how I was one to Jesus Christ. I was pointed to Jesus by those who lived a compelling life. I wanted to be around them. I wanted something they had. I didn't understand what it was. It was an intangible it factor, X factor. Call it what you want. There was something about their lives that I wanted more of. And it turned out it wasn't something. It was a someone. It was Jesus himself. I told the story of Jimmy Stringer and how there was something about his life that marked him. And he stood up. He rose above the fray of the world to where there was clarity when I looked at him. I thought, there's something different about that man. What does a witness do? I love this. How many of you like watching courtroom drama on TV? We love law and order. Kung, kung. You know, I love that. I get excited when I hear that little lead-in, that bumper as it opens up. We love that show. We love the, the SVU show. We watch it all the time. But I love the courtroom scenes and the courtroom dramas. As Jerry Fisher told us that a lot of times what attorneys will do is they will, they will ask leading questions. So when a witness is on the stand, that attorney's asking a question, but it's a leading question because there's something, there's a desired response they want out of that question. So they'll ask a leading question. But here's what the witness doesn't get to do. They don't get to elaborate. Come on, don't y'all watch TV? So here's what happens. Here's what happens. The question's fired and then they answer the question. But if they go off track, if they begin to chase a rabbit or they begin to elaborate because they want to say more, there's more to be said, an acute, smart, wise attorney will say, no, 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 just answer the question. Just answer the question. In fact, they'll only let them answer the question that was asked because they're looking for a desired response. And you don't get to go off. You don't get to give a speech. You don't get to elaborate. Isn't it interesting that the Scripture in Acts 1.8 says this, But you will receive power, dunamis, 
When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my, say it somebody, witnesses in Jerusalem, that's your hood, that's your area, and in all Judea, that's a larger region, in that case it was southern Israel, and Samaria, that's where people live on the other side of the tracks, they're the dirty Gentiles. By the way, we're all dirty Gentiles, except for two of us in here. So listen to this. The disciples were hearing Jesus say, this is our marching orders, this is what's going to happen. We're going to get empowered by the Holy Spirit, baptized and immersed. Then we're going to go out to Jerusalem, that's awesome. Judea, yay, Samaria, whoa, wait a minute. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Samaria? We don't talk to Samaritans. They're those people. They're dirty. They're, they're actually unclean. We can't even come into contact with them. Jesus says, this is where you're going. And then, to the end of the earth. What does a witness do? They answer the questions that are being asked. And go ahead and skip this next slide. We're going to move on through. Let me give you an example of how this worked with Jesus. This is an overflow encounter with a Samaritan woman. Ladies, I'm sorry to say this, but back in that time, to be a woman was not a huge bonus in that culture. So not only was she a woman who guys in public would not speak to or address, but she was also a Samaritan. So she's a Samaritan woman. So she's got two strikes going, and look what happens. John 4, 1, now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, got their attention, although Jesus himself didn't actually baptize, but only his disciples. He left Judea, the southern part, and departed again for Galilee. Galilee's in the north. That means he had to pass through Samaria. Wait a minute, we, we don't do that. Well, let's see what happens. John 4, 5. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well, remember that? Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journeys, was sitting down, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. That's high noon. So it's hot and it is desert. Been there, seen it. It is desert. Verse 7, a woman... Strike one. From Samaria, strike two, came to draw water, and Jesus did something unprecedented in that day. He said to her, uh, Whoa, you're not even supposed to have a conversation with a Gentile, with a Samaritan, or a woman, and now we've got the whole perfect storm going right here. And Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. And then it says this, a little note, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Can you imagine how the disciples would have responded if Jesus had spoken to her? They would have been like, whoa, 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 stop the press. Jesus, don't mean to offend, I know you're Jesus, but we don't do that. We don't talk to women in public, much less a Samaritan. Ugh. But they just happened to be gone getting dinner at In-N-Out or wherever they ate. So here's what happens. Give me a drink for the disciple to go away to the city to buy food. Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me? There we go. There's the Jewish part, a woman of Samaria, and the Samaritan part. For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. So even she's alarmed that he's talking to her. John 4, 10, Jesus answered her, If you knew, oh, man, 
you only knew. If your eyes were only open to see. Jesus was like, if you only knew what was right here. What was offered to you. Look what he says. If you only knew the gift of God. And who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink. You would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now she's a little slow on the draw, which you and I probably would have been. Because look what happens. Verse 11. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. She's thinking literal water. So a little slow there. But watch what happens. She'll catch on in a minute. Where do you get that living water? Now what does a witness do? Answer the question. She is now beginning to ask questions. Where do you get that living water? John 4.12. And then she says this, Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. Literal water. Actual water. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Okay, he just took a whole big step here from literal water to something that is eternal and otherworldly in nature. Look what she says, verse 15. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water. She's like, okay, I want that so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Again, she's still a little bit not sure what's going on. Overflow happens when our life in Christ compels others to ask questions. And I have to say this, and I mean this with the utmost love. And the question is this. When you're out in the world where you live, where you work, and where you play, is anyone asking Questions? Is anyone wondering how it is that you're able to live up in a down world? Is anyone wondering how it is that you reflect joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, love, self-control, all nine fruit of the Spirit? Is anyone asking you why you have all that when they don't? If not... Why not? I don't know about you, but when I got saved, I got real saved. I mean, I, it was just, you know how it is that with some people you think, gosh, did that even take? They didn't even seem excited about it. I was excited about it. And guess what? That was 19 years of age. I'm a whole lot older than that now, and I am still beyond excited. In fact, Interesting enough, it actually gets better and sweeter and better and sweeter and better and sweeter. Partly maybe because it's dawned on me at my age, it's not that far away. Before I step over, talk about a win-win deal, I get to live life on this earth and enjoy God's goodness and grace and share and be a witness when people ask questions. And then I also, when my body decides it's time to go, I get to be with Him and experience what the Bible calls the renewal and the restoration of all things. So, hey, it's, I hit the lottery, right? It's a win-win deal. There's not a lot of those in this world. But this is, and for some reason, that really took with me. 
Give me this water so I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Now, skipping ahead a little bit, John 4.25, the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, because they start to have this conversation, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, boy, Jesus just drops the mic right here. I who speak to you am he. Whoa. I know Messiah is coming. I know the one that's going to redeem all things. The one who's going to set everything right. I know the one that, that, that the Jews have been talking about all this time is going to come. And he says, that's me. The one you're talking to is the one you've heard about. Just then his disciples came back and they marveled that he was talking with a woman. They have no idea that he just dropped a grenade right there at the well with her. Just dropped a bomb, a truth bomb. She's reeling from it, and look what happens. But no one said, what do you seek, or why are you talking? They're just blown away that he's actually talking to a woman, much less a Samaritan. John 4, 28. So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. She left her water jar. Now, wait a minute. That was something that's a container, a vessel that represents life itself to these people. She went to the well to get water because it's the only way he could survive and live in those desert regions. Was to carry water from a source back to their dwelling. She left her water pot. That would be like you leaving your smartphone somewhere. Oh, have you not ever done that? Am I the only one who broke out in a cold sweat? Am I the only one who wondered if somebody had a way to all my information? Am I the only one who felt weird if it wasn't in my hand? She left what represented sustenance and said, you know what? Didn't even think about it. She bolted into town. And they went out of the town, verse 30, were coming to him. Verse 39, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. So now she's overflowing. She's gotten this information. She received a truth bomb. She now has received living water, which we know later is the Spirit of God Himself. And now she's leaking out because she can't help herself. How many of you know when you get good news, you can't keep it to yourself? Come on, I see your Facebook accounts. You're excited about something. Something hits you. You, you want to tell somebody. You want to call somebody. You want to text somebody. You, you want to go on media and, and get it out there. Because good news needs to be shared. Amen? That's a good thing. She says this, He told me all I ever did. So when the Samaritans came, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there for a couple of days, obviously talking, overflowing, spilling out. Can you imagine the questions that were coming to him? You're the Christ? You're the one? What are you doing in Samaria? What are you doing here? All the questions and many more believed because of his word, his message, his conversations, what that means. It doesn't mean his word, the Bible. It means his words. He spoke literally to them. And they believed, verse 42. They said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Listen to this. Our call, our commission, our mandate 
To be a witness is to live an overflowing life that generates questions wherever we go. That's our call. That's our mandate. You want to drag around your 40-pound coffee table Bible and just blow people and just hit them upside the head to say, get saved or you know, get right or get left. I mean, you know, all this crazy stuff we've done. Man, I grew up in a tradition where it was like, man, you got to close the deal. You got to get them to commit. I mean, I felt like we were selling cars half the time. Or you you got to get them over the line. You got to close the deal. I mean, because if you don't, they die tonight, they're going to go to hell. It's on you. Man, I lived under that guilt, that shame, that, com- that con- uh, condemnation. Oh, it was heavy, heavy, heavy. And then I begin to read the Bible. <laughs> wow. And I begin to realize. Much of what happened, yes, there was preaching. Yes, there was teaching. Yes, Paul went into synagogues and reasoned with the Jews. So there's a time and a place to speak, to be direct, as the Spirit leads, because we read the book of Acts, and the Holy Spirit was guiding every step. So they were in lockstep with the Spirit. But I'm not talking about taking up the mandate and going out and trying to force things down people's throat. I'm saying there should be something about your life that makes me want to ask questions about who you are. How is it that you? Why are you so awesome? Your life should reflect that. Now look at this. Luke 6.45, we're going to end with this verse in two translations. The ESV says, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil, right? We leak out what we're full of. So what's inside is going to come outside. Now listen to this. For out of the abundance, out of the overflow of the heart, his mouth speaks. Our mouth either substantiates our witness or it betrays us. But it's what's in the heart that comes out through the mouth. Now, I love, if you've gotten into it all, I like the Passion Translation. It's a relatively new translation. I like the way it reads. So, I want to read this to you. It'll be on the screen. Luke 6.45 in the Passion Translation. Listen to the words. People are known in this same way, out of the virtue stored in their hearts, good and upright people will produce good fruit. But out of the evil... Hidden in their hearts, evil ones will produce what is evil. We get that. Now listen to the way I bolded until I did everything I could. Listen to this. For the overflow of what has been stored in your heart will be seen by your fruit and will be heard in your words. So by what you say and by what you do, that will be the overflow that comes out of your life which compels people to say, I don't know what he's having, but I'll take two. I want that. As I think about my life, and I think about the spiritual markers along the way, it was people who lived these kinds of lives. They weren't perfect, by the way. In fact, there wasn't a perfect one in the bunch. They had flaws. They had chinks in their armor, just like you and me. But something about their life rose above the flaws, the cracks, the scars, the bruises. And I saw something in them that I didn't have, and I thought, I want that. And you know what that caused me to do? Ask questions.
And you know what they did for me? They answered them. It always came back to the same thing. Life is Jesus Christ. That's it. It's pretty simple. But it was enough that I stepped over the line at 19 years of age and have continued to step, step, step all along the way. So what I shared with you in the beginning, Sonia's story, is basically this. It's an overflow story. I wanted you to get an example of what this looks like because here's what's going to happen. With our awareness being raised, just like with Awestruck, our awareness of the miraculous and what God was up to caused us to begin to recognize the activity of God all around us. In the same way, through this series called Overflow, I want us to tune in and dial in and focus our lens, so to speak, to begin to see opportunities where our lives are overflowing and it's raising questions in those around us. So I'm going to pray that for us. That people will begin to see in us, maybe what they haven't seen or maybe what has not been freely released. That God will begin to show up and show out of us. So that they can see that hope is here. And that hope has a name. Amen? Can we stand together? I want to pray us out. So that last question up there is, what is your overflow story? So I'm going to believe that over the next few weeks, we're doing this for 13 weeks, that there's going to be overflow stories rising up. We call them EDMs in our other series, Everyday Miracles. I want some overflow stories. I want to hear of opportunities, large or small. It doesn't have to be epic. It could just be a little thing like what happened with Sonia. That's not epic. That's just life. Someone asking questions and then us getting to share answers. So I want to encourage you in that. So can I pray for us? Uh, you'll be dismissed after I pray and also want to invite you, anybody like to come up to the front for prayer, we'll have that available. And then also just to remind you, 6.30 on Wednesday nights, love to have you out. We do our, our study. We've been deep diving. We've been talking about this very thing for two and a half years. And so we'd love to have you out as we continue through the book of Acts. All right, let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for each person that's here. Because, Lord, every person that's here has a story. It's being written. They may be in one chapter or another. But, Lord, you're doing something amazing in all of our lives. You're creating moments that cause other people to take notice. Not for our glory. Not for us. Not to say how awesome we are. But to say how awesome God is. And to point people to Jesus. So, Lord, would you turn it up? I'm asking, raise the volume. Would you turn it up in our lives so that we who are here and hearing this teaching and having our awareness raised, that, Lord, as we go out, our radar will be on, our eyes will be wide open, our ears will be listening for people beginning to notice that there's something different about our lives, the way we respond to crisis, the way we respond to betrayal or a broken trust, the way we forgive when others wouldn't, the way we handle things, the joy that we carry, the pep that's in our step that isn't in the world around us. Lord, may our lives create questions because of overflow. We love you. We honor you. In Jesus' name, everyone said... Amen. God bless you. We love you. Have a great week overflowing.